Thank you, Laura. I appreciate that song. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. Tonight, 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. We're going to get into Titus, chapter 2, but I wanted to start in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, to show you what Titus is doing in Titus, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter number 2, the Bible says, in verse number 1, Thou therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Notice the uh, process of teaching, the different people that were involved in, in who Paul could see learning uh, the things that Paul had taught people. He could see himself, he says in verse 2, the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, commit thou, so the thou there is Timothy, Commit thou to faithful men, and then those faithful men at the end of verse 2 will teach others also. So you see the, the different groups of people that Paul was concerned with. He was concerned with his own doctrinal purity, the things that thou hast heard of me. He was concerned with Timothy's, uh, thou. He was concerned with the people that Timothy would teach, faithful men, and the people that those faithful men would teach, others also. And notice what Paul was concerned with. He was concerned with the doctrine that was taught by him among many witnesses. Did you see what he said in verse 2? The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Basically, the way to think about that is the things that he said publicly. That's the way to think about that. Not the things that he said privately. Not the things that he debated about. Not the things that were unclear in the Scripture. The things that were clear in the Scripture, Paul wanted Timothy to commit those things, those publicly taught, publicly preached things from the Scriptures that were clear, black and white things. He wanted... Timothy to teach those to other uh, faithful men who would teach those same things to others also. Go to Titus chapter 2, because it's actually exactly what you see, actually Titus chapter 1, that's exactly what you see in these um, last six or seven weeks that we've been going through these things in the book of Titus chapter 2. That's actually the same exact process that you see in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter number 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And so notice that Paul talks about God delegating some of God's authority to Paul. And so Paul's going to do the same thing in this entire book that he taught Timothy to do in 2 Timothy. Notice what he says in verse 3. Uh, but hath in this last times manifested his word through preaching. That's Paul's preaching, which is committed unto me. Notice the me there. There's Paul. There's the first generation, so to speak, according to the commandment of God our Savior. Notice the next phrase, to Titus. There's the next generation. So in 2 Timothy, it was from Paul to Timothy. Here it's from Paul to Titus. So Paul is delegating his authority to Titus to commit the same things to faithful men. Notice in verse 5, we see the faithful men. The Bible says in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Notice the process. It's the same thing that we saw a moment ago in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it's leading up to where we have been in Titus chapter 2. And so Titus's chapters 1 and 2 is God delegating his authority to Paul, Paul delegating his authority to, to Titus, Titus ordaining elders, uh, which are the faithful men, and that gets us to Titus chapter number 2, where we see a different groups of people who are the quote-unquote others also. 
So 2 Timothy gives us the principle, Titus chapters 1 and 2 actually shows us that Paul did this in practical everyday life. He was delegating the things that God had taught him as an apostle to men like Titus and Timothy and Philemon and other people who would then teach faithful men, who, and those faithful men would then teach others also. And that is actually what chapter 2 is all about. It's the others also, if you will. Who are the others also that Titus would, in effect, be teaching through the years? It was aged men, according to verse 2, that the aged men be sober. It was aged women, according to verse 3, the aged women. It was young men, according to verse 6, young men likewise. And it was servants, according to verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient. And so what we have here in these different things that we've been going through in Titus chapter 2 is actually just a practical way that, that Paul is showing us how he did his ministry. And it all stems from that same principle, that key principle in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul got information from God, from the Bible. Paul delegated that to Timothy, who delegated it to faithful men who would teach others also. And so what we have here is just a bunch of groups of different people who are the others also. The others also that we're focusing in on is, chapter, is verse 2. It says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. And my topic for this evening is sound in faith. Now, I certainly don't consider myself somebody to have arrived when it comes to faith, when it comes to the faith, when it comes to pretty much anything in the Bible. But the Bible says that we are supposed to take aged men and they're supposed to be these things. It's interesting that in verse 3, the aged women are supposed to teach. It doesn't technically say that the aged men are supposed to teach, but, you know, that is what we're doing here. So, what does it mean, these, these, these things that, that Paul's uh, giving to Timothy, this sober, grave, temperate, uh, uh, sound in, in, in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience, all these things. It's basically what Paul is saying to Titus is he wants aged men, think about this, I'm going to simplify it, to simply be mature. Now, Jeremy talked about being grave as being mature, and I certainly agree with that. But what he is saying in verse 3 is he wants aged men to simply be mature. Now, you don't get to define what you think maturity means. You can be 60 and immature, and you can be 20 and carry more maturity in yourself than a 50-year-old. Notice the maturity that he talks about. He first talks about physical maturity. He says in verse 2 that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate. He speaks of three aspects of maturity in the physical realm, the area in which we live day to day. And that's what he focuses in on with his physical maturity. To be sober means to not be under the influence of anything that alters the mind. Nothing external that would alter the mind, like drugs or alcohol. But understand, nothing internal that would alter the mind, like anger or lust. Now, those of us who don't drink and don't do drugs, we love hearing teaching and preaching on, hey, be sober-minded, don't drink, don't do drugs, and we all say amen. But when it comes to things like anger and lust, things that men primarily struggle with, we don't really like to consider that that alters our mind, but the truth of the matter, it does. Listen, uh, you go ask David when he was in the midst of a, of a lustful, murderous time in his life, and you ask him 
if he had clear thinking at that time. He would have told you he did, but he did not. It altered his mind. David was not sober-minded during that time in his life. So he says physical maturity, things like being sober, uh, physical maturity, things like being grave. That means serious-minded or mature. Daniel is an example of this. The Bible says about uh, Daniel in the book of Daniel, uh, him and his friends, such as had ability to stand, uh, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace is what the Bible says. And so they were grave. They were serious-minded enough to know when they, when they could be teenagers and 20-year-olds and know when it was time to shut up and be disciplined. They were grave. And the third part <coughs> of physical maturity he talks about being temperate, which is a self-controlled, disciplined life. And so he first talks about the three aspects of physical maturity. Then he goes to the three aspects of spiritual maturity. Maturity in the spiritual realm in which we live. Remember, you don't get to define what is physically mature and, and spiritually mature. The Bible is doing that for us. So to be spiritually minded, according to the Bible, in verse number two, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, that's, uh, that's maturity in the physical realm, and then the spiritual realm at the end of verse two. Sound in faith, I'm gonna insert a word here, it doesn't do any disservice to the text, even though it's not in there. It says sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. That's in effect what Paul is saying. He's, he wants you to be sound, he wants you to be solid in these three aspects of life, in, this, in the spiritual maturity aspect of life. So right off the bat, as we consider this three aspects of spiritual maturity, the first question is, what does it mean to be sound? To be sound means to be steady. It means to be not shaken. It means to be unbroken. It means to be fully mature in that particular area. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2, it speaks of sound wisdom. And that's obviously opposite of the wisdom of this world. Proverbs 3 talks about sound wisdom and discretion. Proverbs 8 talks about sound wisdom. Proverbs 14 talks about a sound heart. Psalm 119 speaks of a sound heart. 2 Timothy 1 speaks of a sound mind, and 2 Timothy 1 also speaks of sound words. And so to be sound in faith is to be solid, to be steady, not to be shaken, not to be broken. And so he wants us to be sound in these three areas of our lives spiritually. Notice the areas of our lives he wants us to be sound in. <clears throat> he wants us to be mature in. He says sound in faith, sound in charity, and sound in patience. Those are three directions of our lives, if you will. So you see, sound in faith, that's our relationship with God. That's a Godward relationship, if you will. Your relationship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is when you're sound in faith. Sound in charity, that's manward, right? We're not charitable with ourselves, and we're not charitable with God. We're charitable with our fellow man. And so sound in faith is Godward. Sound in charity is manward. That's your relationship with your fellow man. And then sound in patience is selfward. That's your relationship with the old man and the new man that lives inside of you, the battle that rages. But tonight, our focus is on sound in faith. And this very clearly has to do with your relationship with God. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know that I can point to one verse in the Bible to tell you what sound in faith is. You see, if you quickly and flippantly and automatically think that you are sound in faith, then there is a good chance you are not sound in faith. Men who are sound in faith 
actually don't immediately put themselves out there as being sound in faith. Men who are sound in faith don't say they're sound in faith. It's kind of like the teenager who's got a couple hairs on his chest, and he says this, he says, finish it for me, I'm a what? Man. Anybody that says I'm a man, you know what they're not? They're not a man. You mark it down. Any person that says I'm a man, including a woman, any person that says I'm a man, they're not a man. And by and large, men that say that they're sound in faith, if they say it, they're probably not. You see, there's no age at which you become sound in faith. Just because you go to a Baptist church doesn't mean you're sound in faith. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're sound in faith. There is no time frame at which you become sound in faith. Being sound in faith, it is a lifetime process that you actually never quite arrive at. I cannot tell you through the years how many people I've heard at doorsteps, knocking on doors, say things like, yeah, yeah, I've read the Bible, preacher. And I think to myself, no, you haven't. I've heard people say, well, I know what's in that book. No, you haven't. You don't know what's in that book. People that flippantly pretend like they know the Bible, flippantly act and say that they know God, you mark it down. The one thing they don't know is this book, and the one person they don't know is God. Now, notice for a moment what Paul finishes his last thought in chapter 1 for, and we're going to use that as a contrast to what it means to be sound in faith. Notice how he finishes chapter <coughs> number one, because chapter two starts with the word but, which means it's some sort of connection to chapter one. In chapter one, he finishes with basically people that say that they're saved, but are not. Notice he says in verse 12, uh, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, notice not a prophet of God, a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. There's a very similar phrase of what we're looking at, sound in the faith. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled uh, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So these people that say that they're saved, Paul says that they're defiled and unbelieving. Notice what he says, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Now, he's going to make a statement that is so strong, it is almost never used in the Bible. I want that thought to sink in. He's going to make a statement that is so strong, it is almost never used in the Bible. He says, uh, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and to, unto every good work reprobate. That word reprobate is one of the strongest words in the Bible. It is a person that is literally seems to be rejected by God. These people in chapter one said that they were saved, but Paul said that they were reprobate. These were people, the Bible says uh, when it uses reprobate, if you look it up, it talks about being rejected or abandoned. The word reprobate is only used four times in the entire Bible. And three of those times it's used by Paul. It is a very strong word. Hypocrite is a very rarely used word in the Bible. 
Reprobate is used significantly less often than hypocrite. Reprobate is a very strong word, not used very often at all. It is not a word that's thrown around. Now, a similar word that you may be familiar with is Peter uses the word disallowed. It's a very similar word. Uh, Peter talks about uh, being disallowed of men, but chosen of God. It's very similar. Rejected of men is the way to think about that. Peter also says that Jesus was the stone. You may have heard this phrase that the builders disallowed. It's a very similar word. It means to be rejected. It means to be uh, not accepted. And so a reprobate, therefore, is a person that is disallowed of God. He has been rejected. He has been abandoned. Romans chapter 1 talks about a person that is a reprobate in the flesh. I want you to remember the phrase, reprobate in the flesh. I'm going to go somewhere with this. So Romans chapter 1 is the story of men who actively and willingly, defiantly, chose to reject God. And God, in turn, hardened their heart. Same thing that happened with Pharaoh in the life of Moses. Same exact thing. When Pharaoh said, who was the Lord that I should obey his voice? God said, oh, two can play that game. And so they rejected God. God, in turn, the Bible says, gave them over to a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1. And the Bible says something interesting in Romans 1. The Bible says God gave them up to uncleanness, God gave them over to vile affections, which includes homosexuality. And then the Bible says God gave them over to a reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1. And so at some point, God, who I believe reluctantly, gives you over to the worst part of your human mind that you're capable of. Probably nobody in here is a reprobate, probably. It's not somebody that just you come in contact with <clears throat> a lot. Romans chapter 1 talks about being reprobate concerning the flesh. But turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 because I want, to see, I want you to see another reprobate. Many of us are familiar with reprobate concerning the flesh because we see in our culture, you know, the movements of homosexuality and transgenderism, which are truly just demonic. They're out of the pit of hell. And, and there is, God is literally not uh, 10,000 miles from any of that stuff. We're familiar with that type of reprobate, reprobate concerning the flesh. But I want you to see another type of reprobate that's very clearly spelled out in the scriptures, and it's in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 talks about different types of sins. We're not going to go through the whole list, but in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, and he <clears throat> goes through this long list. In verse 3, he includes without natural affection. And I'm not going to stop and, and spend time on that, but that includes uh, homosexuality. It's, it's not natural. He says, uh, it, verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, uh, having a pleasure, uh, loving lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So this is very similar to what Paul just mentioned in Titus. And these people, notice how Paul describes them in verse, uh, verse 7, they're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So these are unsaved people. Verse 8, now, and he gives an example, a Bible example in verse 8 of, of 2 Timothy 3. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these, talking about the people he just described, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds. Here it is, reprobate concerning the faith. Notice there's two different kinds of reprobate in the Bible. There's a reprobate concerning the flesh, that's Romans chapter 1, but here 
in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there is reprobate concerning the faith. This is a completely different type of reprobate. You see, <clears throat> the Romans chapter 1 reprobate, they're the ones at the pride parades. They're the ones that wave their fists defiantly at God. They're the ones that say, I will not bow to Christ. That's reprobate concerning the flesh. Reprobate concerning the faith is different but similar. Reprobate concerning the faith means they have an aspect of faith. They have a measure of faith. By the way, reprobate concerning the faith, they're not atheists. These are not the people in the mainstream media. These are not your college professors. Those people, they're atheists. These people, reprobate concerning the faith, they have faith. They're just reprobate concerning the faith. It is different than reprobate concerning the flesh. Reprobate concerning the faith, they're not out on Friday and Saturday night at the clubs. Reprobate concerning the faith, they're at church on Sunday. Reprobate concerning the faith, they're not out in the casinos on Saturday night because most of them are riding around on bikes as Mormon missionaries on Fridays and Saturdays. Reprobate concerning the faith, they, they have a measure of faith, but they have not placed it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they have, in verse 5, a form of godliness. They, they appear to be godly. They seem to have <coughs> some religiousness about them, if you will, but they, they, they only have a form of godliness. They deny the power thereof. And so reprobate concerning the flesh is Romans chapter 1. Here, reprobate concerning the faith is 2 Timothy chapter 3. And like I said, these people are not uh, atheists. They have a measure of faith. Uh, some of them even say that they believe in a person called Jesus, but their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. They say they carry a Bible, but they don't have faith in the Bible that they say they carry. They say <coughs> that they go to church, but listen, if you're reprobate concerning the faith, you are not saved. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. A reprobate concerning the faith may or may not truly claim the name of Christ, but they're not saved. There's no way around it. Adam uh, Wagers and I, one time, <coughs> I don't know if he's here. Adam's probably skipping on Wednesday night. Uh, so I don't, I don't even see him. We meet a guy. We uh, give him a track. Um, we try to witness to him. His name was Harry. Uh, to this day, Adam and I refer to him as old Harry. Old Harry gave me a Jehovah's Witness uh, uh, pamphlet, the Watchtower Society. Uh, the Watchtower Society and the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a cult. It's not a Christian organization. It's a cult. Those leaders, those men are reprobate concerning the faith. Well, this man, his name's Harry, he gives me this pamphlet, and I politely took it. And I offered him a gospel tract, and he said he didn't want it. And started trying to question me on the Bible. He said, <clears throat> he said, you use the King James Bible. I said, I do. He started questioning me on different words in the Bible. And, you know, I didn't know who he thought I was, and not that I'm anybody important, but there was nothing that he asked me that, was, that, that threw me off. There was no word in the Bible that he asked that he, he was able to twist in some way and get me confused on. And so we talked to him for a while, talked about a crisis, Lord, and what you're going to do with your sin when you die, that type of thing. One last time, I tried to give him a track. And he looked at me, and he said this. I'll never forget it. It's the way he said it. He said, I will not read that. Do not give it to me. Now, I don't know if old Harry is a reprobate concerning the faith. I'll tell you this much. He's on his way to being reprobate concerning the faith. He has a measure of faith, but he is putting it in a false Christ. He is putting it in a false Bible. He is putting it in a false religion. 
If he is not reprobate by now, he is. Listen, old Harry doesn't go out and get drunk. He's not getting high. He's not at the clubs, right? He's not wasting his money at the casino. <coughs> you know, he waves a flag. Well, he probably doesn't because there's Jehovah's Witness, but, you know, he's, he's a normal person, right? But he's not reprobate concerning the flesh. He's reprobate concerning the faith. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look real quick. At, if you don't mind, that'd be great. Thank you, brother. I, I, I have thought about asking Caleb to bring it up here, but... Thank you, brother. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Why is it important to be sound in faith? Why is it important to, to have this stability in your life? Remember what sound is. It's, it's, it's steady. It's stability in your life. Why is it so important? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, Verse number 11 it says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting, that means maturing. That's another way to say it's sound. That's it, it, the maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry. So why do we have all of these people in verse 11? It's so that we can be matured as saints. It says in verse 12, so that we can do work and so that we can do ministry. It says in verse 12, for the edification of the body of Christ. That phrase, <coughs> the body of Christ, that's not all believers everywhere. That's our local church. When it says the body of Christ, that's us. That's a local uh, called out assembly. But notice why else he gave us the people in verse 11. So the people in verse 11, he gives us, he, God gives those people to us for the three reasons in verse 12. <coughs> but also there's another reason in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Why is it important to be sound in faith? So that your faith is not like that of a child where you get blown with every wind of doctrine. I am not saying this arrogantly or boastfully. There is no Mormon, there is no Jehovah's Witness, there is no Catholic that can ask me something that will scare me. I don't care. I know why I believe what I believe. I have dug my heels in. My tent stake is driven down. It will not move. I do not want to be a child. That's what the Bible says you are if you don't know your doctrine. In verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. <clears throat> if you don't know your Bible, you are susceptible to being a spiritual and doctrinal child. That's what the Bible says. He says, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Wherever the doctrinal winds blow in that season, you are susceptible to being carried by that wind. And I'm here to tell you, no. Absolutely not. I will dig my heels in for what I believe. Listen, if it's not in the Bible, whatever. The, 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 the giants in Genesis 6 and you know, eternal security in the Old Testament and, you know, whatever things that might be in some gray area, whatever. But listen, when it comes to the blood atonement and the virgin birth, salvation by grace, eternal security, that stuff is settled. So, 
<clears throat> some thoughts on being sound in faith. Go back to Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter number 2. That was attractive. I'm going to blame all of this on my wife. She turned the ceiling fan on the other night, and it messed with my throat. I think there was another man that blamed his wife. Might have been. <laughs> Ain't nobody talking to you, Brother Les. All right, Titus chapter number two. Some thoughts on being sound in faith. Notice in chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound, doc sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and, and patience. The first thing, first thing I would say to you is in verse 2, it, it says it's being sound in faith is connected to aged men. Did you see that? It, it's not that young men can't learn what the faith is. They should learn what the faith is. Listen, I personally have taught my kids the Baptist distinctives, because that's important to me. We don't, I don't, I personally do, I don't know why you come here. I come here because it says Baptist on the, on the sign. I would not go to a church that's not Baptist, and I know why. Listen, uh, it's not that young men can't learn what the faith is. They most certainly can, but young men cannot be sound in faith. They're not old enough. The Bible says the aged men be sober. It's not that brand new Christians can't learn the faith. They most certainly can. But they're just not aged enough to be considered sound in faith. They've not lived long enough. So how do you become sound in faith? Well, you don't become sound in faith at salvation. That just doesn't make good sense. You know, you, once you're saved, you, you're saved in a moment, uh, but that doesn't make you sound in faith. You don't become sound in faith at 20. You don't become sound in faith after reading your Bible through one time. Listen, in my early 20s, <clears throat> I read through the Bible two or three or four times. Man, I thought I knew something. I'm going to tell you what, I had some big britches on. I, I, I honestly, I thought I was somebody. And, and, and the more I read my Bible, the more I realized, I, I, I don't know that much. You don't become sound of faith at salvation. You don't become sound of faith at an age. You don't become sound of faith reading through your Bible one time. You don't become sound in faith because you have a three-year Bible certificate from our own Bible Institute. You don't become sound in faith because you're old enough to retire. Some of you men may be in retirement age. That does not mean that you are sound in faith. You see, there's not a, there, there doesn't seem to be a point in life where you simply become sound in faith, which sort of makes good sense since there's no finish line on the Christian life. I mean, even Paul said, I've not yet apprehended. Even Paul said, I've not arrived. And so being sound in faith is something that begins at salvation, then it happens over the course of your entire Christian life. Becoming a Christian is something that happens in a moment, but becoming sound in faith, that's something that happens in a lifetime, which is why there's no such thing as a brand new Christian being sound in faith. Listen, you become sound in faith the same way every other man that's ever lived has become sound in faith, if in fact they were sound in faith. You become sound in faith little by little. You become sound in faith one brick upon another brick, one line upon another line, one truth accepted in your life upon another truth that has been accepted in your life. 
You become sound in faith as you work through in your heart all the preaching and teaching that your flesh initially hates. And if you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. You become sound in faith as you begin to put into practice the teaching and preaching that you used to hate, now you agree with, but you still don't know how to do. You become sound in faith one church service at a time. You you become sound in faith one Sunday school lesson at a time. You become sound in faith as you allow the teaching and preaching of the Bible to begin to modify your thinking. I'm going to say something about the Bible, about the church, and, and about what we do here. You need the local church more than you need the local school. You need the local church more than you need your club. Teenagers in this church need the local church more than they need money from a job. Kids in this local church need this local church more than they need their sports teams. You will never convince me that you are sound in faith while you purposely stay out of the one place that helps you to become sound in faith. You are not showing off your uh, spiritual pride or or, uh, arrival at some level by skipping church. You're actually displaying your ignorance of the Scriptures. You become sound in faith as you submit to the teachings of Scripture. You become sound in faith every single morning as you open up the pages of the Bible. If you do not regularly get into the Bible, you, sir, are not sound in faith. If you have been saved for years and you only open your Bible at church, you are not sound in faith. Now, if you just got saved and you're only opening your Bible in church, that's different. But if you've been saved for three or five or ten years, and you only open your Bible at church, you, sir, are an immature spiritual child. You are not sound in faith. How do you become sound in faith? You become sound in faith every morning as you bow your knees to the creator that made you. You become sound in faith as you humble yourself and recognize you need the Bible and you need prayer every morning more than you need your cup of coffee more than you need to check the news, more than you need to check ESPN. (coughs) You need your Bible and prayer to become sound in faith more than you should be checking YouTube, Facebook, or your bank account. Whatever your morning routine is, if it does not include the Bible and prayer, you are not on the road to becoming sound in faith. I'm not saying you're on the road to become a reprobate concerning the faith. I, I think if you're saved, you probably can't do that. But, but listen, if you're not in your Bible regularly, you're certainly not on the road to, be, to becoming sound in faith. When is the last time that you learned something from God on your own? When is the last time that you read your Bible with nobody teaching you other than, God and the, other than the Holy Spirit and God spoke to your heart and taught you something? If you are only learning something at church, you are not sound in faith. For me personally, and again, I'm not saying I'm sound in faith, but for me personally, probably the single greatest thing I've ever done to at least get on the path of being sound in faith is to read my Bible every day. I tell young young men all the time, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. 
And when you're finished reading your Bible, you know what you should do? Read it again. How do you become sound in faith? Here's a simple way to think about it. Know what you believe. That's how you become sound in faith. How do you stay sound in faith? You stay sound in faith a couple of ways. <clears throat> Number one, recognize you could fall away. We're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 26, it was the Last Supper. Jesus said one of the people at the table would betray him. Not deny him, betray him. The Bible says this, and they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? You know what that means? That means Andrew thought he could fail. That means James thought I could fail. That means Peter thought that could be me. Every one of them said, is it I? About 23 years ago, we started, Mindy and I started in youth ministry. Uh, Brother Wally had asked us to start going on Thursday evening visitation. He probably doesn't even remember that because he's old. And um, shortly after that, he asked me to start a high school Sunday school class for bus kids. We didn't even have a high school uh, Sunday school class for bus kids. And so Mindy and I started that ministry. And when we started in the youth ministry, there were over a dozen people that would, that would have been considered youth leaders. Over a dozen. Eight couples. Out of those eight couples, again, we're talking about how to stay sound in faith. Out of those eight couples, two of them have been divorced. One of those couples is completely out of church. One couple is out of church and supposedly started a home church. One couple goes to church, but it's no longer a Baptist church. And one couple is in a Baptist church, but it's not a Baptist church. It's on a good path. And so out of those eight couples, there are only two couples that are still in the same type of church that built us. Two out of eight. There's one. There's two. Everyone else has changed. At the time, 20 years ago, you would have went to them and said, are you sound in faith? Every one of them would have said, yes, I'm sound in faith. But time has shown that they actually weren't. Listen, how do you stay sound in faith? Recognize you, you could fall away. Fact of the matter is, some of you will be out of church next year if, if, if everything goes normal like it does in church life. And if Peter recognized that he could fall away, who in the world do you think you are? And I'm not being sarcastic. Who do you think you are that you think you would not fall away? How do you stay sound in faith? Recognize you could fall away. Listen, I don't want to fall away. I got kids looking at me. I want to be faithful to God. I got a wife looking at me. I want to be faithful to the church. I want to dig my heels in and not move. How do you stay sound in faith? Stay close to Jesus Christ by staying close to the Bible. It has been said that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And brother, that's a true statement. Listen, I've read the Bible a lot. I've read the Bible in a year. I've read the Bible once in 34 days. I've read the Bible in six weeks. I've read the Bible all kinds of different ways. I've read the Bible in different programs. I've read the Bible, uh, Psalms and Proverbs every month for years and the book of Acts. And I've read the Bible a lot of different ways. I actually don't know how many times I've read the Bible because I don't really care. All I know is I need a lot of Bible to be sound in faith. A lot of Bible. 
Those of you who don't read your Bible, I don't know how you go day to day. Listen, I know I can fall away. I know I need to stay close to Christ. I know I need the Bible. I don't keep track of how many times I've read my Bible. This much I know. I care about reading my Bible. This morning, I bowed my knees and asked God to help me as I opened up the scriptures to read his book. That's important to me. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realize how little of the Bible I actually know. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realize how good God has been to me and how gracious he has been in my life. So how do you stay sound in faith? Know why you believe what you believe. How do you become sound in faith? Know what you believe. How do you stay sound in faith? Know why you believe what you believe. There's men all around this room. You couldn't even tell me what the Baptist distinctives are. And you have been in a Baptist church 20 years. You could not tell me what the Baptist distinctives are. And it's not salvation by grace alone. I had these made up a couple of years ago for the college ministry. They're bookmarks on the Baptist distinctives. Come up and get one. I encourage you. Listen, men, you need to know why you believe what you believe. If you're going to be sound in faith, you got to know why. You have to. You got to know what you believe. You got to know why you believe it. Listen, you got to know these things. Okay, you get out of church, maybe your salvation is fine. What about your kids? What about your grandkids? Listen, your grandkids could go to hell because you get out of church. This is not the most fantastic message you've ever heard, but this thought may be the most important message you've ever heard. Everything flows from what you believe in sound and faith. Everything. Your outward behavior is a result of your inward faith. What you believe in your heart always comes out in your behavior. People that go from church to church, they're not sound in faith. People that stay in one church for a while and then leave for years, they're not sound in faith. Some of you in here, you think you're sound in faith. I wonder what God would say. Some of you in here don't think that you're sound in faith, and you're actually more sound in faith than you probably give yourself credit for. Are you, men, sound in faith? There's way better messages and way better preachers, but I'm going to tell you what, as an aged man on the path to being sound in faith, that may be, because everything flows from your doctrine, everything flows from your faith, that may be the most important truth we can grasp is that what we believe inside always comes out. That's why we struggle with what we struggle with, because we, don't we, we believe it intellectually. We've not embraced it here in our heart. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? I challenge you. Come down and get one of these bookmarks. Learn why you believe what you believe. You let, dig your stake tent in tight and hard, and don't move it. Anchor yourself to the Word of God, Anchor yourself to Jesus Christ, and I beg you, be sound in faith. Pastor.